This is Blurring the Lines with Adam Bell and Peter Nicolaitis, IT entrepreneurs. Adam and Peter take on the topics of technology, business, life, and the pursuit of happiness and blur them together in the 21st century. Episode 31. We interview Kurt Holzendorf, another guest who has punched Peter. Kurt is a friend of Peter's from Krav Maga. Kurt entertains us and shares with us a few stories of Krav Maga, firearms, and emergency services in Boston. Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, or whatever time it is, whatever time zone you might be in. This is Peter with another episode of Blurring the Lines. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Adam Bell. Hey, Peter. Welcome. And I think I'm seeing a pattern here. Uh, we have another guest today. I know. And, uh, um, I'm seeing two themes. One is guest, and two is uh, this is another person from uh, my Prof. Maga school. So uh, before we go too far, I don't want my, you know you, dear listener. I'm talking to you now. Um, this is not becoming the Krav Maga podcast. <laughs> But if we do hear in a week or two that Adam has started Krav Maga, maybe it will be Krav Maga. I don't know. But we've done uh, this be like our third episode that might get a little Krav heavy. I don't know. Well, this is uh, two episodes that our guests have both either wanted to and have punched you. I want to interview our guest today, Kurt, Kurt Holzendorf. How are you? Good. Glad to be here with you guys. Glad to, you could make it. Um, <laughs> yes, this is definitely uh, the second. Uh, I am seeing a pattern. <laughs> guests who have punched me. And not just once. <laughs> once again, we have a pattern here. <laughs> So, um, anyway, Kurt, um, I wanted to have you on because I, I find you, in, in general, you're an all-around interesting fellow. Um, you are, if not the only person at Alpha Krav Maga Boston, one of the only, if not the only people, who I think it hurts more to hit than it does to get hit by you. <laughs> and I am not the only person who thinks that. I'll tell you. Um, after, uh, so, so I had a little issue, uh, a little thumb issue, when um, this was, uh, now it's been a couple of months, um, I had failed to make a, a properly tight fist, partial be, partially because of laziness, partially because of the uh, uh, MMA gloves I was, okay, it was all laziness. Anyway, yeah. Um, I didn't have a fully properly made fist, and I threw an uppercut at my friend Kurt, and he uh, parried very, uh, very effectively. Just put his elbow in the way, so I uppercut his elbow with a loose thumb. <laughs> yeah. And, and wow, it hurt. And um, you know, here we are, a couple months ago, still a little sore. And um, so I told a mutual friend Ed from our class about this episode, and he said, "I think Kurt is made out of." Adamantium or something. <laughs> I remember during my black belt test, I hit him and it hurt me. <laughs> so I'm not the only one who thinks that. So, so, so first off, Kurt, what's your secret? How are you so damn strong? Well, <laughs> actually, the older you get, 
you actually turn into something like petrified wood. <laughs> that's why, which my is, only answer. Yep, that's, that's harder than the material that um, adamantium that uh, Wolverine's bones are made out of. So, okay, good. Good to know. So there's hope. If we last long enough, we actually get tougher. That's good. That's good. That's so as I said, um, you uh, practice Krav Maga at the uh, same school that I do, Alpha Krav Maga Boston. Um, and, but you're also, uh, I would... Well, I would refer to you as a bit of a jiu-jitsu expert. I don't know if you would call yourself. No, I would never say. I'd say I'm a jiu-jitsu enthusiast, but never okay. an expert. Okay, you're, you're a bit of an enthusiast when it comes to jiu-jitsu, uh, among other things. We'll get to that. But um, how long have you been practicing um, those or martial martial arts or martial practices in general? Where did you get your start? Actually, I got my start um, in 1965. Uh at a the local YMCA, they were opening up a um, YMCA in Roxbury, a neighborhood in Boston, and I went in there for the little tour. And actually, <laughs> I remember when I went in to check out what karate was like. The guy scared the heck out of me. I, <laughs> his eyes were bloodshot. He was screaming, yelling, yeah, you know. I go, oh my god! I kind of backed out of there and I went to the next room. <laughs> And it was a guy, and he did judo. So my first martial art was actually judo. It turned out to be an older brother of a, um, a grammar school classmate of mine. Uh, his brother's actually the same name, Curtis. He was a, um, he'd learned the judo over in Japan because he was in the Air Force stationed over there. So that's where I, fir I first got my introduction to uh, martial arts. After that, subsequent to that, when I went to the service, I actually learned Shotokan, mm -hmm. which is, uh, you know, stringent style and then when I got out I got into something called um, oh my god oh Goji they called it uh, Goji Ru yep right it's kind of like an Okinawan style mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then from there I, unfortunately my instructor who was about two or three years younger than me at the time had a stroke mm -hmm. so and that was in he was in his early 30s and uh, wow. I said, oh, God, yeah, I mean, it was crazy. I mean, and he was, he was actually, Peter, he was the, um, what they call the crane champion here in New England, the Karate Referee Association of New England. He was the, um, the, the heavyweight black belt champ until Billy Blanks moved here and then he became the champ. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and, and my instructor, so then when I left him, I, um, I was living in the Hyde Park neighborhood and there was a place called One Step Beyond. And that was like an amalgamation of things. I mean, it was karate. It was like karate. They had taekwondo guys there. Uh, they had walum kung fu guys there. We had boxes come in from the South Side gym that used to be in um, Rosendale neighborhood of Boston. And that's where I got my introduction into kickboxing. Okay. Uh, and but the key thing there was we did self defense. That was before you know taking the martial arts. Everyone called it self defense. But you really didn't practice somebody trying to mug you in the neighborhood or anything like that. You know, mm -hmm. you had your little pajama geese on and everything like that. <laughs> but actually, there we actually did practice uh, self-defense at least once a week. Uh, that's what they did. And, and that's when I got my first introduction into it. 
Mm -hmm. And we've touched on stuff like that too, about like the practical nature of certain martial arts versus others and how, um, you know, some some people say like Krav Maga is not a martial art. It's, it's not an art, you know, it's not, it's, it's a practical self-defense system. So yeah. You, what do they usually say that they, there's more, they take all, they take the art out and just leave the martial. But they like to call it a self-defense, um, system that's it but some people will call it that and a lot of times when you tell people i'm, sh- I'm quite sure you you've run to this too peter you tell people you do krav maga and they say oh what is that like is that karate you know <laughs> so you have a hard time explaining to them. my wife still calls it wrestling you're going to wrestling tonight <laughs> so what am i gonna say I mean, how many you know. years have you been doing uh wrestling now? <laughs> oh, yeah, all, all, almost 11 now i mean it'll, in march it'll be 11 years since i've been doing the krav holy cow <laughs> yeah, I started. I started at the age of fifty-six. Wow! Do you believe it? Yeah, I'll be sixty-seven in February, and I started in March. And, uh, I find that part hard to believe. <laughs> wow! Yeah, and everyone does, but trust me, uh, the outer shell looks good, but it's the inside. <laughs> Keeping up appearances, my friend. Keeping up appearances. Yeah. So you know, I've been doing it that long, and and how I got into it, it's kind of interesting. How I got into it, I, I was kind of out of shape. I, I quit the martial arts stuff probably when I was around 39 or 40 and I developed arthritis in my knees etc and then I just was in the gym lifting weights and everything that was my thing and then I kind of stopped that and I got up to about 250 pounds but for me you know my size Peter I was gonna say how tall are you though yeah I'm 6'2 I'm so I wasn't you know fat I was just big you know right and I got, I got to the point where when I was in my 40s when I was lifting um I started looking like I, I kind of when I looked at myself, I really didn't like it because I was starting to look like a bodyguard. <laughs> a bouncer, a bouncer. Okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, the gym where I belonged to, some of the the ladies there, when I would go out to the clubs, they would say, Kurt, uh, meet me here, right? <laughs> so I would meet up at a club, right? And, you know, we'd dance and I'd dance with other ladies and everything like that. And uh, But I was there really to make sure they were, because I looked like a... I look like a bodyguard or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> I really didn't like. I really didn't like I like that look. But I was overweight, so um, I'm on my way down south on a, a trip to visit a family member, and uh, I decide to pick up a book for the flight, and it was a book uh, called Tom Clancy's uh, Splinter Cell Operation Barracuda, and in that book, the protagonist Sam Fisher was a uh, he was in this he was a member of this uh top secret black ops sub branch within the nsa and uh, he was former seal former cia special activities division the whole you know enchilada but the key thing was that even though he was very good at other martial arts he excelled in krav maga okay <laughs> went through the whole i said okay and I said, geez, I, I vaguely recall that back in the 80s. I'm reading Black Belt magazine, and the Israelis were introducing an art called, they called it Krav Maga. At the time, I looked at it and said, ah, you know, you know, okay, that was it. Never thought about it again. Mm-hmm. But I knew, but I, I said, you know, that would be kind of interesting. So when I come home, I, in my office at work, and I Google Krav Maga, looking for locations figured hey if i get into some kind of martial art uh what it's going to do is it's going to get me back into shape because it's going to it's going to force me into 
getting my cardio up, building up my strength. I knew that was how it would work for me. Mm-hmm. So I Google it and find out that a Krav Maga studio is two blocks away from my headquarters. <laughs> so, well, it's convenient. So, that's very convenient. So I, I go over there, and it's an industrial building, and I go over there and I walk up the stairs, and there's uh, these two guys, uh, Dennis and Sean. I tell them my background. Oh, okay, no problem. We'll start you in the um, introductory class with the introductory class. Okay, fine. So I come back, you know. And it was, I wasn't in an introductory class. They threw me right into <laughs> class. Now, mind you, Peter, uh, this was like 2006. So you have to understand the crowd we do now, even though it's fine and everything, and it's great and it's true, but the training was much more brutal. Mm-hmm. People, I mean, it was really brutal. I mean, it was many times I came home and I was urinating uh, blood sometimes because. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, it, it was it was pretty brutal. A lot of people they had to kind of they you know we still go hard and everything. You know how we see how we work it now. You still mm-hmm. get in there, but man, it was like brutal. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I have my first class, and they throw me in with the regular level one class. The only thing that got me through that class was my pride, my ego. <laughs> I mean, that was it. I wanted, I said, this is crazy. You know, but it just takes time, and, and that was my beginning in the uh, journey of Krav Maga. Never thinking I'd ever get a black belt. I didn't even think about it then. And then when I was getting ready to retire, I said, sure, I'm gonna, I'll, be, I'll be 65 years old if I ever get my black belt. I'm that, right? <laughs> but that's all history, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, speaking of black belt, um, I know the answer to this because I was there, but uh, when did you get your black belt? Uh, it was June of 2015. Mm-hmm. And that was quite the test, as I recall. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was interesting. The way we did it, Adam, just for information, we, um, the way, the way uh, at that time, Dennis, he did it, we did it over five days. So, Oof. It was, yeah, it was, three, it was three hours a night for the first four days that we did it on Friday. And then finally, the last day, it was six hours and 15 minutes. <laughs> Get it. And I remember at the very end, I mean, my joints, I mean, it was just, I remember the very last thing we had to do was fight two people. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I know it was, uh, it was another Adam, Adam Gleason, and I forgot who else. It might have been Ed, Ed McGonigal. Mm-hmm. But, but regardless, it was just... I'm just gonna die. I mean, I can't. I'm laughing. I can't lift my legs up to kick anymore. I'm just <laughs> blocked with punches. It was just. It was unbelievable. You you just go to the very end till you have nothing left. Uh-huh. Forget that. I remember that, and uh, th- that was the last part because I went through up until that last bit, and that's oh, when yes. Dennis decided. Oh wait, Peter's only testing for purple belt, so he can <laughs> stop now. <laughs> so so I, I stopped, and that gave the uh, requisite number of uh, three-person groups. You know, since I dropped out, he had what I think four four groups of three. If I, I don't remember how many people were testing, but suddenly there were the right number. There were either nine of you or or twelve of you on the uh, on the mat. I, I do remember when I. I was going for my blue belt i do remember and this this is an age thing i remember going for my blue belt and i believe that was about five hours to finish that and adam you have to realize at that particular time the way they were doing it was they'd have all the belt levels there so you're starting out and someone's going for their yellow belt okay so maybe they're for there for about an hour uh-huh. so you're doing you're doing all of this yes. stuff that they're supposed to do but except you have to do it at 
a higher level. Yeah. Okay. So now they go, okay, all yellow belts, uh, your excuse. Okay, now, okay, orange belts. They keep going. So I remember at one point, Dennis had said, oh, see these guys over here? They got another four hours to do, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you, just, you have to do the, everything they're doing up until you get to what you're supposed to be able to do. I remember going home. I was in such pain, such pain that when I got home, I walk into my kitchen. I yell to my wife, says, Get me some ibuprofen. <laughs> <laughs> but there was another guy I used to train with us who went on to, who went on to be an MMA fighter. He left to become an MMA fighter. Uh, uh, Phil was his first day, Phil Martin. And uh, Phil, later on that day, I'm on my bed. I'm in pain. I had to go out that night with my sons. We were going to see a fight by, in, in a movie theater. And... Um, I, I couldn't move. I mean, it was horrible. And yet, and yet, Phil gets on Facebooks. Everybody, he's already down in New York partying. <laughs> but I think I think it was 25 years old at the time. You know what I mean? That might have something to do with it. Yeah, I mean, I said, my God, are you kidding me? You know, that was my blue belt umpteen years ago, right? So, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and and things have changed a little. Even I've only been practicing now in the school for I guess going on five years or so, and. And uh, even when, when we first started, when I first started just five years ago, things were a little more intense. I, I think Dennis has scaled it back a little bit as he's become a little more uh, injury averse, shall we say? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because everybody, all of us, I mean, like it, it, it was it was really rough. Let me tell you, you know. Yeah. You, like you said, you know, if, if you get hurt, you can't train. And right. that's the whole point of us, you know, training. So I guess the, the predominant theory these days is scale it back a little bit in the training and you can train more. And that's better than, say, being out of practice for six or three months or something like that. So, yeah. Well, and, yeah. and Kenyans were getting marathons done faster than you guys were getting out of your Krav Maga training. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I never thought of it that way, but yes. <laughs> So, um, so all right. So, so Krav Maga is. Uh, w- would you say that's your main martial practice these days? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I just love because I always had this thing about self-defense. I mean, that's why I fell in love with it. Uh, because although you know, although Krav Maga shares many of the techniques from the other martial arts, mm-hmm. the the key difference, you know as you know in the training and how it's different is it stresses fighting under worst case scenarios i mean again several opponents uh we do um protecting someone else you know uh there's a weapon on that particular person i mean and as much as i love doing jujitsu i mean they don't really train where okay uh let's have okay someone just put the gun in the back of your head here at the atm well when did they ever train that right right or uh, when did they, and, and Peter, maybe you saw this YouTube. Maybe I mentioned it to you. Uh, and I think a classic example was it was it was a YouTube video I saw that there was a um, a fight in a subway, and this guy was on top of the other guy, just pounding him. And the guy on the bottom happened to be had the guy on top in what's known as half god. I don't know if you're familiar with that, um, Adam, or not. No. That's when your legs are, rather than your legs wrap be, uh, while you're on the bottom, imagine being on the bottom, your, your back's on the ground, and your, la- your legs are, are wrapped around the person's waist. In this case, okay. uh, they'll have your legs wrapped around just one of their legs, so they call that half god. So this guy is on top, just pounded on it. Of course, you had one of these knuckleheads who's filming the thing on video, 
on his on his phone and not doing anything. Yeah. So he's pounding him. He's pounding him. So I'm seeing this video. He says, "My God, that if he only knew how to get escape from half God, if he only knew how to escape." I mean, well, subsequently the guy wasn't happy enough to be punching the man to almost to death. He decides to pull out a knife and then start stabbing the guy. Mm. And and I thought, my God, if he had been able to just get away from the half God from the from the onset, you know, we would have been gone and away from the guy before the guy got a chance to pull his knife. Mm -hmm. The meantime, the guy with the phone is saying, oh, man, oh, do you want me to jump in, dude? Do you want me to jump in? This right. <laughs> 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 is being stabbed. You're seeing blood pour from the guy. No, you know, no, I got this. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, no, I got it. I got it. I'm just going to bleed to death. It's only a flesh wound. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was so so it's things like that that even though um you can love mma which is everything you can you learn from everything i mean um, you do but but the bottom line is krav maga you go over these different things i mean you understand that you you always anticipate that someone has a weapon at no time and i don't get in confrontations but i'm always thinking someone has a weapon mm -hmm. on, at all times you know i have to think that so that that brings up another topic. Now we have on your uh, your your ID here on uh, Skype. Your little avatar has a little logo, and it says "Krav Maga," because you might run out of ammo. Just <laughs> <laughs> may, right? You just might run out of ammo. Now, now, especially in 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 the state that we live in, the you know the the, the glorious Commonwealth of Massachusetts, they, they restrict stuff like that. <laughs> You're so lucky to be living down there in Tennessee. See, uh, Adam, it's unbelievable. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so I have a friend. Matter of fact, just to digress for one small moment, a friend of mine Facebook messaged me today. He owns a, a variety store up here, but he also owns a big gas station variety store in Kingsport, Tennessee. He moved down there about a year and a half ago, and he Facebook messaged me that uh, he wanted me to see him later on. Anyway, when he went down there, I said, "My God!" I said, "Peter, you're going to be so. It, it's going to be heaven because hey, you don't have to worry about all the things we're going through up here, as far as having enough." rounds in, in the, uh, the magazine and so you have to be able to fight <laughs> yeah because you run out of your 10 rounds that they allow you up here you're on your own <laughs> well yeah. a buddy of mine who's a who's a doctor he and i shoot at quite a bit and he he gave me a bumper sticker that said there's no such thing as too much ammo <laughs> <laughs> I agree, absolutely. Let me tell you, people don't realize when you shoot, when you do shoot, and when you go through drills, you know, rapid fire drills, you're out of you're out of ten rounds so quick. It's unbelievable. And yeah. People, people, you know, that don't understand, um, they only they're only they what they their picture of of shooting, of course, comes from the movies and television. And I can remember when I was a kid. I mean, when gun smoke would open up. They'd be, you know, Matt Dillon would draw his gun, he'd shoot, boom, in one shot, and the guy drops. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> from, from 20 yards away with a pistol. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. yes. And, and people don't realize, no, you have to keep shooting until he drops, and he may not drop. He may get to you. I mean, stories of people shot with 15 rounds, and now they're eventually going to die, but they still get to you. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, for, you can't believe what you see on TV and, and in the movies. Mm -hmm. now, uh, 
Go ahead. Yeah, no, sorry. I was going to say we're not. Uh, you, you you apologize for digressing, but we're this is your interview, so we're not digressing. If you <laughs> it's, it's all it's all good. There was there was also a great um, YouTube video. Maybe you saw this one, Peter. Uh, and, uh, it was uh, it happened out in Oregon. State trooper stops a uh, a car. The guy gets out of the car. The state trooper is yelling. Yes. And he's saying, "Get back in the car, sir. Get back in the car." The guy right away. You know, there's a there's a sign there, right? He's he's in BDUs, camouflage BDUs. Oh my God! So all of a sudden, he decides to draw on the state trooper. He fires at the state trooper. The state trooper <laughs> dash is going. The state trooper runs around to the right side of the vehicle. The assailant moves toward. Now, if you watch it really close, you'll see the assailant just kind of like just bend just a little bit, just a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. He moves around to the hood of the car, right? He, he drops his magazine, puts it back in, boom, and then runs off, gets in the car and drives off. Yep. Well, it turns out this guy, when he drives away, he actually dies about a quarter of a mile down the road. His aorta had been severed. The state trooper hit him. When he bent a little bit, the state trooper had hit him. Yep. But the fact of the matter is, it did not stop this guy from, from continue, um, continuing fire. Yep. And even though his aorta was severed, so yep. people have to understand that. So, oh, people, oh, why couldn't you just shoot him in the leg? Why yeah. <laughs> man, I, man, I shot the guy in the chest and he still didn't. I mean, that's the reality of it. There's a, yeah, and that's a lot of, you know, people. And the same thing comes to, you know, circling back to Krav Maga is like, you know, punching people. You know, we, we learn how to punch and stuff, but there's a good chance that, you know, you punch someone and hit them pretty square. They may still stand up for a little while. Well, absolutely. You know? Well, maybe not you. If you hit them, they're going down <laughs> but anybody else <laughs> but, but you know what it is too is it you have to look at i mean let's we're talking about the law of physics here i mean you know when a humvee hits a um uh what do you call those little little teeny cars a small vehicle but i'm trying to think what's the little car electric car that everyone was getting that oh, a smart car yeah, yeah those smart cars some humvee hits a smart car who do you think's gonna win <laughs> I mean, let's look at this i mean some big 280 pound uh, uh, god, you know, someone like a, a soldier on the Patriots who's like six foot eight and weighs over 300 pounds. I think when he hits you, you're gonna go down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's gonna hurt. It's gonna, it's gonna hurt. Yeah. We have to look at reality. So what do um, you might you say you might run out of ammo now a, a number of us in in the the Krav Maga school are I wouldn't say firearms experts but firearms uh, what, uh, what what did you say enthusiasts yes. <laughs> so, what do you think like here in Massachusetts you know it's it's legal if we go through background checks and you haven't shot anybody lately they let us carry you know they let us own firearms and let us carry firearms um, what do you think of and and this is you know if you don't want to talk about this by all means but the 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 um what was what did you do back uh, a few months ago when the attorney general decided that the <laughs> ar-15 was not allowed anymore i went out and bought another one <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what i did <laughs> not, not, i went did you catch that too adam not yeah I went out and bought one I another another one <laughs> I, I, I wanted to get another one anyway but then she just forced me to get another one i mean you know uh but you know the, the thing is it's it's not um 
It's the lunatics that I mean. Look at these people who are doing were doing the shootings. I mean, they are all nuts. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know what to say. I'm not a nut. I don't go around uh, thinking about bringing my my uh, rifle with me someplace to take somebody out. As a matter of fact, I, I've only I've only carried one of my pistols once, and that was to a a Craigslist uh, deal. And they, you know, because you don't, you don't know who you're dealing with. You, you go to a public area. It was in front of a Dick's Sporting Goods, and that was the only time. Subsequent to that, which was pretty good in my town, uh, they put out something where you can, what they ask you to go to um, the police headquarters parking lot, and they have some spaces there, and you can do the exchange there. So you don't have a problem. Oh, that's but, handy. Uh, yeah, but I'm, you know, my my point is, um, you know, uh, these are just nuts. I mean that that. I don't know what to say. I mean, that's all I can say. I don't run around with carrying a bunch of guns on me and carrying rifles and doing all that stuff. <laughs> it's just, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I mean, I don't know what these people are just lunatics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of funny because I didn't, uh, I was having trouble getting a straight answer when I first moved down here from Vermont. And of course, in Vermont, you know, the, the, the gun laws are pretty much, do you have a pulse? Okay, buy whatever you want. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, I know we, we have, you know, just over half a million people in the entire state up there. But for some reason, the, the they're not all running around shooting each other. Right. And, uh, you know, okay. So, yeah, I understand, you know, guns don't kill people. People kill people. Yes, I do understand that the gun kind of helps. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, anyway, I, so so I went through uh, the, the, the background check and everything, and I got um, approved for my unrestricted carry license here in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know, though, like, I thought, like, just to bring a firearm into the state, I needed to be licensed at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I didn't know uh, that what, you know, the difference, like if, if I could own one and keep it in my house or, or what. So, you know, I just, I wanted to, I, I thought like just to bring my guns from Vermont down here, I needed to be licensed. So I went through and got certified and, you know, whatever, and got the local police chief's blessing and I got it. Um, I'm curious, what do you think about, like, the, the background check process and stuff? Do you think it's good? Do you think it's too much, too little? Or what do you... What, do you no, have- I, I, I think it's pretty thorough. The, the thing is, it's funny how um, each town, and, and just for uh, everyone else's edification, mm-hmm. for Massachusetts, it's... Um, <clears throat> some Well, some towns won't allow you to carry concealed. I mean, you can right. have it, but you can't carry concealed. Mm-hmm. Now, in my town, uh, they require... Of course, you have to write a letter explaining why you want an unrestricted license. But also, you have to have two other people write letters, uh, yeah. you know, saying that you're a great guy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I haven't shot anyone lately. Right. I haven't shot anyone lately and, oh. and the whole <laughs> bit. Other towns don't do that. Uh, so it's kind of it. But, I, but, I, but the check that you go through, I mean, I, I think it's pretty good. Though The thing is, the issue, I guess, with everybody these days and... and like I just mentioned about these lunatics, a lot of these people that are doing this stuff are, um, well, a criminal is going to get a hold of a, a weapon anyway, so let's yep. forget about them. But the the people that are ill, it's the whole thing about filling out the paperwork and saying, oh, yeah, you know, I, I never went to a mental institution. I, I don't know how we get by that, I'm, you know, because <laughs> most of these people, they are, and they find out they have some kind of illness or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I don't know how we get by that. But other than that, no, I think it's, it's pretty, um, I think it's a pretty good um, 
uh, deal they have here as far as yeah, as far as, you know what they go take you through. I didn't so, I didn't <laughs> find that it was all that you know that challenging. I mean, not not having any sort of criminal you know spots on my history, I didn't have a problem with it. Right. Well, that's uh, the whole thing. I mean, you know, when you list, you know, you didn't have this and never been arrested for this. I mean, you know, I've been in the town for 19 years. I've been this. I've been you know. So, you know, they look at all that. And yep. like I said, some towns, you know, they said no, no, you can't. You can have it, but you can't have it concealed. City of Boston can't yep. have it concealed. Cambridge, Republic of Cambridge. Yep. You know, you can't have it over there. Yep. You know, so. Yep, and that's yeah. I think that's always funny too. Is like because uh, New Hampshire state law is it's an open carry state, but you know not concealed. And yeah, you know, I think I forget the exact wording, but I read in somewhere there was a uh, like a recommendation. I think it was from the head of the state police. Was like you know we we urge people to um, you know exercise uh, what not restraint but you know like good judgment or something it's like yeah. just just because you can carry a weapon out in the open anywhere you go doesn't mean you should you well, pe so. people don't realize that actually and i don't know if you knew this peter but massachusetts is an open carry state did you know that i did not know that yes yeah. yes when i uh, when i i took a course uh, on the laws it was pretty good it was like four hours and uh that's the other thing a lot of people get their handguns and they don't and i talk to people and they don't know the first thing about the law and i go oh my god this is crazy i mean yeah when someone breaks in the house the police in massachusetts and they're walking outside and they're t taking your widescreen tv no you cannot you can't just shoot him yeah you can't do it you can't shoot him work like that you can drag them back into the house and shoot them yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what they recommend. Did, did your uh, Tennessee lawyer tell you that? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to even comment on that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, so let so let me tell you this real quick. So I voted uh, last week, last Thursday. I guess it was Thursday. So I went to vote, and you know, I I'm a I've got a concealed carry permit as well and there are buildings that tell you you can't bring your gun in here it's posted and and i think that uh it, well this is a government building so we're in the government administration building and it's got it clearly posted and i watched this guy in front of me he's an old guy uh and he's got you know he just pulls his flannel shirt looks at the sign just pulls his flannel shirt over his gun that's in his back i'm like you know it's you're you are going in the place where there's very likely to be police i mean there weren't any but it was very likely that there weren't and the first thing you do is break the rule you know and and it's people like that because you know because i'm i'm gonna follow the laws i'm a law keeper so it's gonna be people like that they're like you know what no you guys can't have carry concealed carry because you guys don't do it right you know you don't honor what you're supposed to do i'm like <laughs> that was just that's why that's what i was gonna say why like in this state what like people don't they don't know the laws so i mean some people anyway and and the fact that Though you can open carry, and with just what you were saying earlier, uh, Peter, when I took this class, they said, but they ask you, you know, to use common sense. Now, if I if, if I walked in some place with my gun on my side, what do you think people are going to do? I mean, they go, ah! You know, <laughs> yeah. Like, they run it all over the place, right? So even though we can do it, it is, I didn't realize you can in this state till I took the, the, the course. Um you don't do it the other thing is in this state versus i have i'm licensed here and i'm licensed in connecticut my son 
is in Connecticut, so I have a license there and vice versa. He's licensed up here. Here's a, one of the differences between the two states, between Connecticut and Massachusetts. If there's a sign that says, no guns allowed, and it's a restaurant, I can actually still bring my gun in there. Mm-hmm. Now, should you? No, don't. Right, because they're not don't. setting the law. Right, just they're not judging. setting the law. Yeah. However, in Connecticut, if it says, don't bring the gun in the restaurant, you can't. Interesting. Yeah, so you have to understand the laws. You have to understand the laws between states. Mm-hmm. So, that, so, so, by, so, the, so in Connecticut, essentially, you have the right to restrict. Exactly. So interesting. Yeah, but up here, if it says no guns allowed, I can still bring it in. But, you know, why cause any problems? What they tell you to do is, uh, uh, you know, hey, you know, have a little business card and, you know, drop the business card saying, hey, you know, I would have... Uh, I would have uh, had a meal at your restaurant, but because you had that sign there, and I'm going elsewhere. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, okay, make your statement. Your yeah, make your statement, statement there. Yeah. yeah, and then just leave. But it's yeah, so people have to understand. I mean, you're, it's big responsibility. I mean, you have to understand the laws. Yep. Interesting. Okay, I didn't know that. I don't generally go to Connecticut all that much, and uh, I've never taken my guns there when I did. Well, so. <laughs> well you actually no. learn that. You actually learn that when you take the the, the class for the Connecticut license. Gotcha. So gotcha. Yeah, that's why I said, "Oh, wow, that's that's very interesting. That's good to know." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't just break the law when you feel like it. Okay, good. To no, know. <laughs> no, but you know, we were talking about the guns and everything, and you know, Pete, you know, uh, I, there's a good uh, Peter. You probably probably even have this book, the book by um, Rory Miller, Meditations on Violence. I have I borrowed it from a library once, but I don't actually own my own copy. But it's it's uh, I have a list of like you know two dozen books that I need to get at some point, and that's on there. Yeah, excellent, excellent book, Adam. Med- Meditations on violence: a comparison of martial arts training and real world violence. What what Rory Miller? He was a uh, corrections officer uh, in Oregon, and he, he writes about violence. Now I remember I I forgot who the guy was but it was when when our organization our crowd organization was affiliated with um crowd Maga worldwide and dennis had someone come out who was one of the instructors and i always remember what he said he said listen you know with crav our whole thing is you know we we neutralize the incident I mean, we go from zero to 60 right because we just turned around with bruce, bruce lee said this he said he wrote this down basically he said Listen, what you're doing is you're taking that evil and that evil energy that's coming at you, you're absorbing it and then throwing it right back at them. And they don't expect that. You know, they looked at you, they saw you were a victim, they figured they can overpower you. So you, you throw this right back at them. Well, what this guy was telling us was, <laughs> look, this guy, this guy just got out of prison. He did 15 or 20 years in prison. You, he knows how to fight. <laughs> yeah. Believe me, he knows how to fight, right? So our whole thing is, neutralize him and let's get away from him so one of the things that rory miller says in his book and i always go by this and he says better to avoid than to run better to run than to de-escalate better to de-escalate than to fight better to fight than to die <laughs> i mean i always go by that if you can avoid it avoid it if you can run run if you can do you spill the drink on the guy hey i apologize let me get you cleaning bill here's another one here give him a second one you know another drink right you know but if you're hemmed up and you have to fight you have to fight 
Mm-hmm. And we've we've that, that that seems to be a recurring theme that we've talked about, right, Adam? You know, yeah. We've, we've, I I I mentioned that, and uh, I also when I interviewed Dennis, I asked him that you know, like, have you ever used Krav Maga on the street? And um, I mentioned another um, uh, a friend of mine who was a sixth degree black belt in Aikido, and he was asking a um, an old uh, Tai Chi master, and you know, invariably the 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 answer usually comes down to something to the effect of uh, no whenever there's trouble I'm on the other side of the street right? <laughs> <laughs> like I avoid that kind of stuff so yeah you know it's not like we you know people who are practicing Krav and you know whatever and stuff we're well um, none of the people I know anyway we're not going out looking for trouble uh-huh. you know we're going out to you know looking to stay away from trouble <laughs> recognizing recognizing it and that's the whole thing situational awareness situational awareness there you go uh, absolutely yep. absolutely <laughs> so, um, all right, we're, we're we're pretty much still on the uh, the tracks of you know we're talking about self defense and um, you know firearms and stuff like that. So, um, you, so <laughs> what what other what other hobbies do you have, <laughs> or or would you do you consider um, like you know self defense, Krav Maga stuff like we're doing? Do you consider that a hobby? Is that a passion? What is well, that? it's actually it's kind of like a hobby passion. I mean, I think about you know I have I have uh, friends you know in, in everything. Thing and maybe they go out and golf, which I think is so boring. I just to go. <laughs> I mean, how do you take that little ball? I mean, my high blood pressure would be so high. I, I, I'd blow a gasket trying to get that little ball in that hole, right? So, uh, and for some people, I, I have a friend who who took it up because he needed to calm down. He said, are you kidding me? Right? <laughs> so, because he had a heart attack, so they told him, oh, take up golf. Are you kidding me? <laughs> right? So, <laughs> anyway, so, I, 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 what I do is it's met, um, it's how I release energy. I mean, like, you know, you go out, and, and when we, look, we spar in there, I'm not, I don't try to hurt people. I don't, I can't explain it. It's just like endorphins, when, you know, when a, 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 a what do you call it? Marathon or runs? Mm-hmm. I mean, so and it's and it's it's unending. You cannot ever know everything. I mean, you just you're just constantly learning, and you evolve, and you just learn something new, and you evolve, and you adapt, and 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 that's what it is. I mean, and it's just it's just good mentally and physically, you know. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I, I uh, what you described is pretty consistent with my experiences. That's um, where I feel uh, usually like th- those few times when I feel like I'm truly uh, uh, you know, in the zone, you know, sort of like uh, that meditative, relaxing uh, feeling. There's two times. One is usually in yoga class and the other is when I'm sparring and uh, usually when we're doing like shark bait attacks where it's like four on one. Oh yeah oh yeah because it's, at those point you know I, you're, i'm not thinking i'm exactly. just i'm just exactly. moving i'm just free i think but but i think a lot of people will probably get a a kick out of um um but you know the, the fact that you'd you'd rather be sparring and punching and boxing and kicking people than doing something stressful like golf <laughs> <laughs> I feel pretty much the same way. I mean, I wouldn't want to do that either. I mean, it, it sounds crazy, but I mean, you don't realize. I mean, and you're right, Peter. People don't realize it when you're at that state where, when someone, if you have to think, 
on what you have to do, then you're already behind the, the OODA loop right there. I mean, you just can't. You're behind. Yep. So you just, you've just done it so much that you're just reacting. Pow, pow, pow. You see it. You feel it. I mean, you, you know, your body's moving a certain way. Your body moves to position you for the next position. I mean, it's just, it's, but you, but in order to do that, you have to do it all the time. People think, I, I had my son ask me one time, well, why do you, gee, why do you go to the beginning classes, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, I said, because it's like, if I stop tying my shoes, I eventually would not be able to tie my shoes. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean and, and, and this is, this is this is true. I mean, like when I was on my, my job, I, um, on the fire department, uh, my, my job was a um, technical rescue. Now, one of the things, one of the ma major um, principal skills in technical rescue was rope. And I and I was, you guys are probably familiar with a highline where you take something over, uh, a, uh, you know, over a river or something or a, a valley, whatever it is, and, and you have to you have to take people and bring them across these ropes mm -hmm. oh yeah and 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 it came a point where i'd been uh, retired for about a year and a half and i started thinking okay all right now how did i tie that thing on <laughs> what's the name of that tool now i was somebody who who was the lead instructor on the rope I was the head guy. I, I went, oh my God! I can't remember what the name of that tool was, what knot it was, how I, how I figure out the lengths, the tension on the rope, I, because I wasn't doing it anymore. I'm not doing yep. it anymore, and and that just goes to show you. So same thing in, in any martial art. If you're not doing it, yep, all the time, people say, oh, just teach me this technique and. Uh, that's it. No. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's a couple it, techniques and you're good. Yeah. yeah no. But if, when it start, when it happens, when it goes down, you're not going to remember a darn thing. That adrenaline will kick in and yep. you won't know where you are. Uh, to, to second what you just said, too, is um, just on Monday, I took the uh, American Heart Association uh, Heart Saver CPR class. Okay. It was a, my refresher. This is actually the third time that I've gone through and been CPR certified. But I didn't remember, like, wait, okay, call first, or do we do CPR first, or do I run and get the AED now? Because that was new uh, the last time. The first time I took it, AEDs were not part of it. And I didn't know, you know, like, how many reps is it? And, you know, <laughs> what, what's the speed, you know, because the, the, the cadence had changed. This time, I think it was pretty much the same as last time. Um, but, you know, it's, I, I made a reminder for myself in a couple of months to just review it just remember you know because i don't you know okay 30 compressions two breaths uh, you know do it to the beat of staying alive you know so it's about <laughs> well the, the alternative is to uh another one bites the dust because it's got the same cadence <laughs> but you, but you want to have positive thoughts <laughs> so uh you know i've had calculating all those things but but i was like yeah i'll i'll forget that you know it's not like i'm not an emt so i'm not running around resuscitating people every day um so i will forget you know that that will that will go so i need to to you know, keep myself fresh on that if I expect to remember it. And, and Peter, that's an excellent point. I mean, my last on the fire department, you have to be an EMT, even though we have a third service in Boston that um, yep. that, that carries the people around in an ambulance. But yep. but all the Boston firefighters have to be EMT. Yeah, my and la my last certification was the, when I was leaving. I mean, I think I got certified in like December of what 2014. I left in. February of 2015, mm -hmm. and that, so my so my certification was is good until 
April uh, of um, next year here, the tw- uh, 2017. Mm-hmm. However, you know, they've been sending me stuff, but I haven't kept up with it. But to, to, to your point, there's a lot of things I remember. The American Heart Association changes things all the time with CPR and everything. I don't remember a lot of things. I mean, you know, because mm-hmm. I wasn't doing it. Right. I was a chief. I was a chief anyway. I wasn't putting my hands on anybody anywhere. So, so, <laughs> so let's talk about that a little bit. Tell us about your your career, your professional career, because you're talking about like stringing lines over rivers and you're a fire <laughs> chief or whatnot. So, how'd you get there? How'd you wind up as a as a, a firefighter? And this was this was your full time employment, right? You, this was not like a, a volunteer job. Very easy, uh, easy answer. I needed a job. <laughs> no, what happened was I, I had I had worked. I had worked for the phone company, and when I got out of the service, and I had gotten laid off, and a friend of mine, who had also worked for the phone company, had gotten laid off, was going around, um, you know, looking at these different civil service jobs and everything. And I remember taking a ride out with him to Springfield because he was looking at uh, getting on the Springfield uh, fire department, and then he happened to, you know, he took the Boston test and he got on in Boston. So one day. Well, I was using, I was going to Northeast and using my VA benefits to go to Northeast University. And uh, <laughs> he sat me in his brand new fire engine red Celica GT. <laughs> and he was telling me about the fire department. I was thinking, you know what? I got to make some money. I got to get a job, a regular job. So um, that was the beginning of it. And, uh, you know, I, I got on and uh, I actually went through the whole I went through the whole academy, and it wasn't until I got out that I actually tell him, uh, told him. And I remember saying to him, I said, oh, yeah, there's this guy. He, he, you, know, you know this guy. He just got on the job, and he's on Ladder 6. Oh, wow, that's a very busy company in Dorchester. I says, oh, yeah. Well, he said, what's his name? I said, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is... I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I mean, there's, it, it, it's a, it's a wonderful car. I'm just telling you, it's, I, you know, it was something I never thought. When I was a kid, and the fire trucks used to go past my house, and these guys, I, I never even thought about. It. Never even. I don't even know if I owned a fire truck when I was a kid, you know. But um, what happened was I got on the blizzard of '78, and. Um, our academy is on an island they call it moon island and there's a causeway that takes you out there you have to go in through the city of quincy squantum section and you go out on this causeway and you go to the island well during the blizzard of 78 we couldn't get out there for some time so i only had about three weeks on the job and uh you know of course it was incredible that with that blizzard so what they told everyone to do is okay go to your closest firehouse you can't get out to the academy so just report to your closest firehouse so for me, Peter, at the time, um, I was living in uh, Jamaica Plain on the Brookline border on South Huntington Avenue. Mm-hmm. It was my first apartment. And um, what I would do was I would come out. And I had my, in those days, we had, I feel so ancient now, but we didn't have a turnout. <laughs> we, had, we had rubber coats in those days and these hip boots. Ah. Just, uh, I see those on TV when yeah, I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, I still have some old ones that I, wa- I, I, I wash my truck with and everything. And I actually put them on when I shovel the snow here. But anyway, um, what I would do is I'd walk outside and start walking down the street, and turn on the Huntington Avenue, and then the National Guard route. So I always get a ride by the National Guard. And they would pick me up. And the closest firehouse for me uh, was the one next to Wentworth Institute on, on um, Huntington Avenue near Ruggles Street. I don't know if you're familiar with that one there or not. But uh, so that's where I went. 
So, <laughs> so we have a fire right now. Oh my god! So, so on the truck, and, and it's a probationary fire. And I had like three or four weeks. So it was a probationary firefighter. You can't go into the fire building. You have to stay outside. But you know, I had been already been taught how to turn on a fire hydrant, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we go to a fire on Columbus Avenue, and it was a five-story uh, uh, brick building, ordinary construction. So we pull up, and, and uh, in those days, we still had the tiller trucks in Boston where you have the person drive the back. Mm -hmm. So we pull up, and they said, hey, kid, okay, look, grab the hydrant. So I was going to grab the hydrant for the engine. I was right on the ladder truck, but grab the hydrant for the engine company. You know, it's going to pump the water into the building. Okay. So they, they had, someone had dug out the hydrant. It made like kind of like a, it was almost like a pit because when I turned the hydrant on, I didn't have presence of mind to pull my boots up, those old hip boots. I had them down. <laughs> so when I turned the hydrant on, the water poured into my boots. <laughs> the astral, right? So I'm, luckily what they tell you is don't pull the water out because what happens is when you pull the water, your feet are going to freeze. You want to kind of keep a little water in there. Uh, so, oh, that sounds pleasant. Yeah, I know it's horrible, but but anyway, uh, and it was the when I, it was it was when when we went back to the fires. Eventually, after the fire, you know, one of the guys said, "Hey, kid, here here's some dry socks for you, right?" But let me tell you what happened. So here I open up this hydrant. Okay, now this is my first fire. Seeing a fire, only have three or four weeks. Not even anywhere near being done with the academy. Okay, um, so. I, I'm standing outside watching. It's not, I'm seeing the smoke come out. For first, it's light smoke. Then it's this black, what we call caca smoke. It's black. It's brown first, and it's black. And and in the old days, the guys didn't really wear their their air mat, air pack that much. So mm. the window would break, and you'd see a firefighter with a big thick mustache stick his head out, take some air, and then bring it back in. Then you saw civilians, right? They were sticking their heads out. So guys were throwing ladders up. I said, oh, my God. Look at this stuff. Well, the guy, find out, the guy, all of a sudden, the guy who was driving our, our, our ladder truck, he comes around. Someone's got him on a stretcher. They're carrying him out because he jumped five stories into a snowbank. <laughs> I'll never forget his name. His name was Sully. His last name was Sully. <laughs> and I went, what the heck? What have I got myself into? Smoke up. People are hanging out in the windows. They, they can't get any air. And this guy literally jumps out the fifth floor into the snow. And I got, so it was umpteen years later. I was umpteen years later. I'm a chief. And this guy actually had left the job and then he came back. So I ran into him. I said, Sully, you got to answer a question for me. That, that day when you drove the truck, ladder 26 to that fire, why did you jump? What happened? Why did you jump? I, I, need, I need that answer. Why did you jump, right? And what happened was uh, um, he knew that a flashover was going to be imminent. And what a flashover is, is when, if you can imagine being in the room, in the room you're in right now, but everything in that room reaches its ignition temperature. So just think about striking a match and the match just lights. Well, everything in the room lights up and no one basically, no one survives a flashover. You just can't get out fast enough. You're gonna be <laughs> roasted. So what he saw was, he had presence of mind to see what you call rollover, where you look at the ceiling and you can see, you can see the gases being kind of like burned. You see like little flashes of fire. And what that is, that's the gases being burned. That's telling you, uh-oh, this thing's getting ready to go. 
So when it went, he boom, he just, he just, you know, it's a natural thing. Like those poor people that jumped from the um, the World Trade Center. Mm, yeah. I mean, you just, you say, I, I want to live a little bit longer. And uh, there was a wrought iron fence down there. And luckily, they had thought because he was bleeding that he had hit it. Ooh. Ooh but, ow. <laughs> yeah. but no, but no, what happened, he hit the side of it, but he did not come down on it. Um, but that's that was his reason, and I said, "Oh my God!" I always wanted to know why. I <laughs> why, why jumped. Ooh. You know. <laughs> later in later in my career, I had a, a few incidents uh, where there was one. A lot of times, what's funny is it, this is what you have to understand. Is a lot of people don't understand this when when you when you're watching television, you're in the movies, and you see people that are firefighters. It's always it's you can see everything plain. There's the flames, and they're moving through the flames because you you have to see the actors' faces, right? right. It's not like that. <laughs> it's not like that. You can be a blind person and, and go into a building because that's what you are. You're a blind. You can't see anything. They can do a lot better now with the thermal imaging devices. But when you go in, you just go in and you're crawling. And just if I go in on my if I go in on my right shoulder, you know, I'll stay to my right, move my way around. You get to the floor, whatever you are. The indicator of heat, if something's going to happen to me, I would put my hand up. I take my glove off and put my hand up in the air. And uh, if the heat's coming down at me, it's down where I'm crawling. I got to get out of there because eventually something's going to happen. It's going to be at least a backdraft or something. Mm -hmm. So um, that was the indicator. But you can't see anything. But on TV, I always laugh because. The flames are there. And they're just walking by the flames. <laughs> go, are you kidding me? You'd be roasted. I, mean, I remember. Well, my problem was that I always ended up in a closet because if you can imagine, you're crawling, crawling, crawling. You come to a door, and you go, "Oh, okay, I'm going to another room." And then you realize, "Oh man, this is a closet." <laughs> now you start seeing flame coming down the hallway, and we would call it the the Red Devil because you'd hear. <laughs> this thing's coming at you. Say, oh my God! So you're hoping that the I was in a truck. So uh, I was what you call a truckie. So you hope that they, the water bearers, the engine company guys, get there, and they did, you know, to cut off the um, the flames, right? So you don't get caught in it. One time I was on a roof. Uh, it was a three, uh, what we call a th uh, three deckers. So Adam, a three decker here is a uh, three story frame building. It could be it could be a, a Usually they're three stories, so we call them three deckers. Okay. But it could be a duplex, so you have three on one side and three on the other. But they're wood, mm -hmm. and they're close together. So we had, uh, it was in the uh, Mattapan neighborhood. So we responded, and in those days, uh, after the tiller trucks, after we got rid of the tiller trucks, before the guy who was tillering would be the automatic guy to go to the roof, to vent the roof, if should the roof need venting. Um, it, uh, subsequent to that, when we went to the rear-mounted trucks, the driver became the person who would go to the roof. So I got there, another guy got there. So we both went up to the roof. Now, in those days, we didn't bring our air packs to the roof because ah, why would you need? We're, we're on the outside. Roof. <laughs> we're on the roof. Or, what do we need them for? No. Air. All of a sudden, that particular day, the smoke came from the eaves. Okay. And it, it literally from the back. And it came and covered the whole roof. My The guy from the other company, myself we were we were on our stomachs with our heads over the roof laying flat we're looking at one of the okay what are you going to do eddie oh what are you going to do current okay well, we, we got to get down the stick the stick is what we call the aerial ladder because we can't breathe up here <laughs> the guy, uh, uh, one of the guys from my truck realized we were in trouble so they threw a 50 foot of ground ladder up there but in the meantime we actually got down the stick 
Eddie went first, and then I went. Uh, but Eddie disappeared. I don't know what happened to him. When we had a fire later, we I ended up with the company that he was on later, another fire in, in the projects. And um, I asked his officer um, where he was. He says, no, he got burned at that other fire when he came down the stick because the fire came out of the window. So, you know, he, he went off because he got not off the job but he was injured because of that that was that was another time <laughs> one of those crazy times other times i was on a roof and um it was it was shaped like a u but but the smoke was like it was formed like a cloud over the this 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 uh top of the roof so i didn't realize it so i just started wa walking and it was this guy eddie again i was walking to it don't kurt stop there's a drop it was up like five stories and uh all of a sudden the wind came moved the smoke out of the way and i could see oh my god you know so it was a couple of my <laughs> my uh hairy situations that i had you know. yeah <laughs> i can feel a little bit of the uh the goosebumps on the back of my neck when you describe some of these like yikes yeah you know it's kind of um you know i don't know you you uh you kind of get uh I don't know. Just thank God you have someone else there that's looking out for you, too. Uh, it is a dangerous job. You know, a lot of people, a lot of guys went out because not just because of um, injuries, but because of cancer. Uh, we're more likely, three times more likely to die from cancer than the average civilian yeah. because of everything. I mean, I thought about all the times I went in, in the building and, you know, after the fire was knocked down, you figure everything is all right. But still everything's smoldering and um, mm -hmm. you're actually still breathe, breathing into the carcinogens. Yep. So uh, it affects you it affects you much later. Um, but uh, that was a very interesting job. I, I got into, um, when I became an officer, well, I actually when I became a chief, I got into what was called technical rescue. And um, we were probably one of the last major cities to actually get into it. And the only reason we did was because we were kind of forced into it because we had three major projects going on. We had the Central Lottery Project, which became the um, the uh, Tip O'Neill Tunnel, the big dig. Uh, we had the outfall of the uh, uh, tunnel, which was the MWRA water tunnel, uh, which went out one whole mile. Four, it was 400 feet down and one mile out. So if you had to rescue guys, you had to go down 400 feet to get them, try to pull these people out. And um, the other one was um, the Third Harbor Tunnel, which became the Ted Williams Tunnel, which was actually the final leg of the um, interstate highway system. Boston did not have an interstate that, that went to an airport. We ended up on what we call, um, at the time, just Route 3, and that's where it ended. Then you had to work your way through the Callahan Tunnel to get over to the airport. But when they put in that Third Harbor Tunnel, we were able to go straight down route, uh, Interstate 90 into the airport. Uh, so because of that, there were a lot of rescue jobs that had to be done, and they just said, hey, we have a fire department here. Uh, why don't we use them? And so because of them um, providing uh, equipment and training, that's how I actually got into it. Um, and it was quite interesting. I kind of liked it because uh, it was completely different. If you can think of, like, if you think about the police department where you have, like, a SWAT team or, uh, you know, bomb squad, these specialty guys that do their regular policing, but they have these other duties as well. So it's the same thing with technical rescue. The, we had uh, seven technical rescue companies. So they, would, they were made up of two heavy rescues, uh, two tower ladders, and um, was it three engine companies? And uh, usually we'd have three or four that would make up the team. And uh, so they did their regular fire duty, 
um, that had the regular skills, but then they had to have additional skills. And basically the definition of technical rescue is the application of special knowledge, skills, and equipment to safely resolve unique or complex rescue situations. And in essence, what it really is, is just knowledge, skills, and abilities that exceed those normally reserved for firefighting. So, you know, things like high angle rescue, for instance, uh, they just had one in New York where a guy came off the roof. They had a big fire there in New York. A guy came down off the roof and he grabbed the civilian and brought him down to the ground. Uh, so if somebody's, let's say, uh, usually happens is you have these window washes and something happens to the scaffolding. So we would practice all the time. How do you go down? How do you connect to that? How do you uh, make the, the uh, scaffolding safe? <clears throat> how do you connect onto this guy? How do you put him on your rope system? How do you get him down? Right? Or how do we get people up out of things? Uh, confined spaces, you know, where you have to crawl through, you know, 24 inch pipe, 30 inch pipe to get somebody. You know, you go into tankers, you have to use meters to uh, test the air. Um, trench collapses. Peter, you're familiar with the, what happened in the South End a couple of days ago? Those guys that drowned from the, the water main. I didn't hear about that, no. Oh, yeah. I had a few of those uh, where people think when they get in a trench, the OSHA rule standard is the OSHA rule is okay if it's five feet or deeper you must have the trench shored. Uh, and a lot of these, a lot of these contractors, uh, they they don't want to, um, they want to save money. So people think when they get into this ditch that they've they've dug this this trench, and they think, ah, you know, nothing's going to happen. Well, you just put a hole in the earth, and the earth wants to heal itself. <laughs> I mean, that's it wants to heal itself. So, so a cubic foot of dirt, a cubic foot of dirt based on the the soil the moisture content is gonna weigh about a hundred pounds so if you if 500 if, if five feet of dirt falls on you you got about 500 pounds of earth on top of you you're gonna exhale and you are not going to inhale again you're being you're being crushed right and so so you know they have stuff that they call it uh, smiling death where they dig you out they find you get you what they get you out of the situation but you die later because there was so much pressure on you see they call it rhabdomyolysis where toxins are built up so so now when you get re it, they re they're released okay now they move into your system and you end up dying so they call it smiling death so these poor guys were in this trench i never got the full story but when the water main broke they drowned they couldn't get out fast enough mm -hmm. And they said, well, now we have to retrieve, retrieve the bodies. We're now going to have to shore up the trench. I would go by many times down the street. I can remember, <laughs> I can remember uh, going down the street near where the, uh, the uh, LRVs are, right? Right on Huntington Avenue. And these guys were digging a, digging a trench. And I went, my God. So I used to stop, even though it wasn't my job to do that. But the reason I used to stop and call them out on it was because that the fire department was going to have to risk their lives to save these these knuckleheads that that um you know were trying to save money at least the contractor so i remember going by i saw the guy down in the trench and i went oh my god and the backhoe was moving the backhoe was digging while the guy was in there <sighs> and and i went okay i got out said and the guy was on the cell phone must have been the the the, uh, the um the foreman or something. He said, oh, stop. Right? He knew something was wrong. I said, you know the old rules. What's going on? Right? So he finally stopped. He says, listen, I have to go to a meeting over at Beth Israel Hospital. I will be back. When I come back, I want to see the trench 
short because I'm going to be calling OSHA. <laughs> I left my meeting and came back. The truck was arriving with all the surety equipment, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but I, I, have, I, I would go buy trenches, and sometimes, you, you know, you go up Metropolitan Avenue in Rosendale. Uh, I'm on my way to work. I see the rungs of a ladder out of a hole in the ground. I go, wait, what's wrong here? I see a trench box up on the street level. So I go over and I get out and I say, what, what are you doing down there? What, why aren't you using a trench box? You need a trench box. Oh, we have one. Yeah, but it's a post. family? What's wrong with you? Get out of there. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was it's it's unbelievable sometimes, but but unfortunately these two guys uh, drowned. We had one. Uh, oh man, this guy ran out of the trench like when we got him out. He he was out. He was faster than a, a bunny rabbit. I mean, what we did was he, what happened was there was so much water that came down that came into the trench. He was stuck in the mud, and if you try to pull your feet out of the mud, it sucks you in. You just can't. It's like quicksand. So we used a tool we called an air knife. Uh, you hook it up to a um, a generator and it, it there's so much air pressure that you can cut through the dirt so you can actually carve out the dirt with it but what you can do is you stick it into the mud and it'll percolate the mud so if it per you so you put the the air knife yeah. near their feet yeah and it makes the air bubbles and you say okay stop picking your feet up okay come up the slider now come on this guy he looked like somebody from i don't know one of those monster movies like you know those guys from the lagoon or something like that with the mud. <laughs> slime all over them oh my god right but uh, those are the crazy things, you know, um, that we ran into. It was, it was, it was quite. An, I, I love technical rescue because, like I said, it was it was beyond the firefighting. It was just these. And and what happened was when people got in trouble, they'd always have to go get technical rescue in here. You know, it's like get SWAT. Well, for us, get technical rescue. Peter, you remember when the ladder truck came down Parker Hill and went right into the apartment building and killed the. I saw something on the, the, the paper. I never saw like any pictures or anything. Yeah, but he got killed. So, uh, of course, they wanted the, the tech rescue companies down there. So the brakes went on the um, the ladder truck. How no one got killed is relative to an LRV going by. Because LRV goes right down Huntington Avenue. And it just wasn't passing at that particular time. Because that truck, got how many tons it was, went through the wall into the apartment building. And uh, so we used the equipment we had uh, to shore up uh, the walls. And I, I can remember one of the inspectors from Inspectors Inspectional Services asked me, "What? what is that equipment, Chief? What? What is that? I says, oh, that's what we use for shoring. He hadn't even seen it before. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's what we used to use to shore up. But so I, I loved I, I, I loved that because it was you had to use your head. It was it was very interesting and in trying to dig people out of things. <laughs> That's, so, uh, so, so you were doing a lot of field work, and then you became uh, a, a chief. So, when when did that happen? Oh wow, that was um, nineteen ninety six. Yeah, I became a chief. I was a chief in nineteen ninety six. Yeah. And what does that mean exactly? What well, did that let mean me, for let, your... me, let, me, let me qualify that. I was yeah. what they call a district chief. Another. Other parts of the country, some places they call them district chiefs, some places they call them battalion chiefs. So it's, if you can think, uh, you, you'd be over a whole district, like you know, Boston has districts. Mm -hmm. So you'd be, you'd be over a district, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a district. You could be over a, a group of people. It's, it's more about the, the rank and the position. Um, so if I'm out in the field, 
okay, Kurt, you're you're in District Seven, so you run District Seven. You take care of all the incidents that happen in District Seven. Or you might be the head of arson squad. Okay, so you're a district chief over arson squad, which in that case you're gonna have captains, lieutenants under you. My case. Um, when they started, uh, I was the first, when they started the Special Operations Command, at the time I was over hazmat and technical rescue because I had the background, okay? I already had been to several schools. Uh, school I went to the most was in Texas. It's part of Texas A&M, it's called Teeks. It's about 200 uh, acres and it's, it's the Disney World for disaster. And <laughs> oh, literally, literally, if you can picture this now, actual rail cars turned upside down garages collapsed with vehicles in them uh rubble piles uh all kind of mock-up buildings that they can collapse uh they have um you know small ships buried in the ground so they can do marine operations uh you name it it's it's a disney world of all that kind of stuff so i got a lot of my training most of my training down there so uh as a chief um I, what happened was it got so big because of because of what was going on with 9-11, et cetera, and WMD. So it got so big that they split it off. So I became the chief over technical rescue. They put another chief ahead of uh, over the hazmat. And then they put a deputy chief over all the special operations, which they then called the special operations division, which took care of technical rescue, hazmat, the Marine unit, and the 20-member dive team. Um, so, um, I, like I said, I loved, I didn't really, wasn't really keen on hazmat, <laughs> but, I, but I loved uh, technical rescue. But the thing is, I always went to all the schools when I'd come back and, um, you know, I was a, a master instructor. So I had a cadre and I would write the curriculum on stuff, we, stuff that we would put together and do. And um, so the thing was about being a chief that did everything. It was great because even though... Um, Obviously, I had to do what the guys did all the time, but but the fact that I'd been through, physically been through the schools, and it was kind of funny because when I would go to the schools, people would look at me and said, "Oh, gee, chief, you you're doing this where I come from." They don't have this. <laughs> well, it's kind of different. I says I do it so when I go back, you know, um, people look at you all kind of ways. I mean, I, when I was early in my career, I remember a, a chief told me. Always go to the busiest firehouse. Go to one of the busiest companies. And the reason for that is later on when you move up in your career, when they look at you, they'll ask, well, where did that guy serve as a firefighter? Because if you're in a slow house, they don't think you have any background. Right. You're like someone out of combat experience. But if you can't, oh, he was, he was on ladder six. Oh, oh he was on um, ladder seven. Oh, those guys had fires all the time. Well, they know. They have an idea. After that, then they'll know whether you know anything or not. But... So essentially the same thing by going through all the schools, doing everything, anything that I would tell them to do, they knew that old Chief Holzendorf, he'd already done it. He's been through this. Mm -hmm. So if that was putting him through any arduous training, I'd already done it. You know, so that was the idea behind that. I got to admit, by the time I was 60 and I was still doing I was going, this is getting a little tough. <laughs> 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 through these. I remember one time I was supposed to be on the outside of a, uh, we're doing a a confined space uh, uh, exercise scenario. I was in Georgia, and I was supposed to be outside, you know, monitoring stuff. And next thing I know, they had me going into the pipe, crawling down the pipe, 
and then go into the area packaging the guy and then ship him back. I said, how did that happen? How did I was supposed to be on the outside? <laughs> how did this happen? Oh, we wanted you know we knew how the, we had the background. We wanted you to do it. Oh, <laughs> you know. So, and then most of the time when I would go, uh, if they would try to put me in a, a chief's position in a scenario, I says, no, nah, I want to play the Indian. I want to be an Indian. <laughs> let, me, let me go through it. Just push me through it. You know, were, so. Were you still, uh, I mean, how long were you chief? Were you there still in 9-11? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I've only retired. It'll be two years in, um, it'll be two years this coming February. Yes, matter of fact, uh, during 9-11, I remember one of the chiefs that I knew who was going to be at that incident, Ray Downey. Ray Downey was a firefighter's firefighter. Uh, he was responsible for setting the FEMA teams you hear about. He was the father of the FEMA teams. Uh, he was he was one of these guys that I remember going down to New York for a uh, symposium. Um, they used to put on these different symposiums every year, and they would go over different um, things. Anyway, when they introduced him, at the time he he'd just been promoted. I think he was a, a battalion chief, but he was on rescue two for years as a captain. And what I mean by a firefighter is firefighter. One of the deputy chiefs described Ray Downey this way. He said, I can remember being in a fire and I was on my belly crawling and these boots came up beside me and said, what do you got going? And he was the captain and Ray Downey was the captain. So this guy's crawling, right? And his boots, someone's standing up. He says, so what do you got going? Well, we got this. Okay, no problem, right? He's, he's, that's Ray Downey standing up going, right? I mean, like, it's just... And I knew, so he had risen to um, a position of deputy chief, and he was, he had eventually became ahead a of all of uh, the special ops from New York. So in August, prior to 9-11, I had made a call to him uh, because, uh, I had met him a few times, but I made a call because I wanted to, we were setting up our, our uh, different teams, how, we, how, how many guys we should have on each team. What was the number he was using? So he was telling me how many guys he had for, you know, structural collapse response or confined space response or high, high angle rope rescue, et cetera, et cetera. And so anyway, when 9-11 occurred, I said, I, I know he's there and I know he's gone. I just I just knew it. Now, when that occurred, as you know, as you listeners know that planes flew right out of Logan Airport. And of course, we all we all remember where we were. I remember I was on the the. Uh, 15th floor of the Holiday Inn in Government Center. Mm. And if you can picture this, when it occurred, this woman was out in the hallway, ran back, and I, I was taking a class. It was a class I was taking. And this woman ran, oh, the planes had just hit the World Trade Center. And they went down. I said, ah, that's impossible. They, they, they've already done tests. No, nothing's going to knock down those <laughs> things. I mean, you know. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, everyone's calling. So now you go to the, everyone's cell phones ringing. And I go to the window, and if you guys can remember, I know you're, you're guys younger than me, but at least you've seen these old movies. Remember those <laughs> movies, those old Japanese movies, black and white movies with um, Rodan and, and Godzilla? Yeah. And, 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 and everyone's running, yeah. running away from them? Well, when I looked down on Cambridge Street, people were running, Peter, from Cambridge Street toward Cambridge to go over to Longfellow Bridge to get out of Boston. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was that many people. It was unbelievable. <laughs> so we had people there from all over the country to come to this particular course. Of course, they couldn't get out of town. 
uh, <laughs> this woman's husband saying he was home from the Cape saying you gotta get out of there get out of government center get out of government center right and so what we did was I had there was there's a firehouse park across the street on Cambridge Street that's where I parked my um, Tahoe I had a uh, Chevrolet Tahoe that was my fire car so um, the driver I see he lived in a community called Sudbury which is west of Boston and he caught the commuter rail so I says okay why don't you come with me we'll get in my vehicle and we'll make our way over to South Station you can catch the commuter rail back to uh, Sudbury so that's the one where we got out of there because I had a fire car but it, it, it I, I just want you to get that picture in your head the 1950 movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> everybody trying to get to Cambridge because they thought I'll be safe over the other side yeah. over the cross the Charles River wow so I was, I, I, it was crazy it was yeah, great I, I was in Vermont when that happened and uh, I remember where it was but I, I was wondering because after that of course you know we heard uh, like oh you know uh, federal uh, officials say that uh, Boston might be a target too yes and I'm just wondering did I hear that just because Boston was the closest big city to to us? Did like, did did Adam? Did they say like Nashville might be a target too? Was Atlanta a target? Was LA a possible target? Or was that just you know, I don't know why were they singling us out? Well, yeah, they were at least at least down here they were calling out any tall building. You know, Atlanta was was concerned and Nashville was concerned because we've got that AT and T tower. Any thing that was iconic yeah yeah what they did here was um of course everyone sent people down but they told me right away kurt we can't send you and the reason they weren't sending me was because they wanted somebody who you know had the technical rescue expertise at the time to stay here to stay with our guys here so a bunch of guys so my actually my vehicle went down there and actually when my vehicle down there someone actually with the dust that was down there using the dust actually used their fingers to write thanks on my vehicle so when i got it back you could see where the the the, the dust had scratched it into my the paint on my vehicle <laughs> but um so because they were so afraid that there were there were terrorists still here uh, i'll give you an example my wife had to go <laughs> my wife called me and said do you think it's safe for me to go in town she had to, she had a meeting in copley square and i says of course it's safe i mean of course it is i mean you can't let these people rule your uh, run your life i mean keep on the way we keep everything normal you know just keep be active be, now the thing was people the hotels restaurants were losing we're 211 miles from new york they were they had no business no one was coming into boston i mean my god no one was coming to the hotels no nothing so anyway they, they uh my wife went in and she had the, she was it was some meeting on uh dartmouth street and uh, they made a raid the fbi and everybody made a raid on um the uh western hotel no not the, what's what's the yeah western hotel in copley square and my uh my goodness i mean she was caught but she couldn't get back to her car she called me up the big chief on the boston fire department told me to go in the uh, go into this meeting <laughs> and i got caught up the fbi surrounded everybody into my car <laughs> you know, it was crazy yeah it, it was it was it was chaos yeah, but they didn't i wanted to go but they says no no we gotta we, you gotta you gotta stay here we need you to do this we need you to do that i did go down subsequently uh subsequent to that because um what happened was uh there were so many funerals going on down there 
that they didn't have and all the firefighters were going to the funerals that they didn't have anyone at, that were attending the funerals so um i went down for raid down as they had a memorial service because they never found this body uh and it was in deerfield long island i remember i never thought i was going to get in the church i mean it was just it had to be thousands and it was not it wasn't so much firefighters it was more people from the the technical rescue community guys from toronto guys from vancouver uh you know from all over the world because of rescue because of technical rescue and ironically um luckily rather i, I actually got in i was in the basement but i was in i was in the church to I, I don't know how I made it in there, but I, 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 the way they filed everyone in, I, I got the chance to go in. They finally found part of him months later uh, so they could have a private um, service for him. And it was something because when I went down there, it was that was in October, that thing was still burning. I mean, like, I went down there and it was, it was still smoldering. Unbelievable. You go down there, you would have thought it was like, steam from a geyser or something you know wow. um, yeah it was just a, it was amazing um and then when we had the uh, my wife didn't want me uh, in march they had a um well 50,000 firefighters that showed up uh and they had a memorial uh down there for, and and it was unbelievable it was 50,000 and people and uh firefighters and because my wife, oh, no, don't go down there. They'll, you know, you never know. They're probably going to attack you guys, you know. My <laughs> wife never, I, I took, my wife's been in New York several times before, but she never wants to fly or anything like that because she's afraid that, you know how that plane went down in the, <laughs> it went down in the river, you know. Huh. She always saying something happens in New York. I don't want to go down there. <laughs> yeah. Don't go down there, you know. My, my, um, as a side note, during 9-11, I have a friend. Uh, my friend's uh, wife, he's, he was, he's a retired NYPD, and uh, his wife worked during the first 9-11. She was in the building. I'm, not, I'm sorry, not in the first 9-11, but the first, the bombing. Uh, was it 1993 bombing yeah. of the World yeah. Center? She was still, she's like a commodities person. She was in the building when that occurred. So now when the planes hit for, in, in, uh, in um, you know, 2001 there, um, what happened was I called, which was crazy. I said, oh, I, I, I called. I said, and, and of course I couldn't, the phones were dead. You couldn't get into New York. So I'm telling my wife, Sharon's in that building. She said, no, no, Sharon's not there. She said, no, she's in that building. She works there. Well, Sharon had the presence of mind to call us. She called my wife and she said, I didn't go into work today because I had a funeral uh, in New Jersey to attend. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, unbelievable. She survived the first one, and, you know, my God, she definitely wouldn't have survived the second one, but luckily she did survive because she didn't go to work that day. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've heard a number of close uh, calls on that because I, um, I, I used to have a contract. I had a long-term contract, and I was in, uh, I was on floor 50 of Tower 2 for, for some time. Oh, yeah? And I got out of there in uh, 1999. So, yeah, that was, uh, it was an interesting time, to say the least. <laughs> yes, yes. Hey, we are uh, we, we we budgeted for about an hour of your time, as I expected. We've gone uh, oh. about an hour and a half over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I think we 
are going to have to do uh, a part two at some point, or or maybe Adam, you might want to split this up. This might uh, this might be part two by the time people hear it. So maybe we'll need to do a part three. Yeah. But I promised Adam that he would be able to leave by uh, within about five ten minutes because uh, he's he's on dad duty today. <laughs> so oh, okay. But this has been a lot of fun. As I expected, you are a uh, a wealth of material when it comes to uh, <laughs> conversation topics. So um, I think we should continue this again sometime. I agree. Yeah, I agree. It was fun. It was fun. It was fun. Well, we, we, we love hearing stories, and uh, we didn't even get to uh, what I think might be the, the best part, which is, um, you know, your current occupation or, or lack thereof. <laughs> so, uh, that'll, that'll have to be next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that would be interesting. It's interesting. That's, that's well, we will we will talk. We 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 can compare notes again uh, some Thursday evening, and then uh, we'll pick uh, we'll pick a time for uh, interview session number two. Okay. Yeah, we'll do it. Well, thank you very much for your time, Kurt and um, Adam. Do we have any announcements or anything else before we sign off? I don't think we have any announcements other than uh, we're looking for feedback. If you want to talk about a particular topic we're glad to do it uh you can drop us a line at www.blurringthelinespodcast.com and now thanks to uh li listener uh, listener feedback i decided i caved in you can now also find <laughs> us at facebook.com slash blurring the lines podcast <laughs> so, so yes we're now we're now all cool and on facebook <laughs> so, well if you decide you're gonna go uh oh it's not Instagram. What's the ghost? Snapchat. But, well, yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. That's, that's old now. That's yeah, that's old. That's old. All the, only the old people are on Snapchat now. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it's, it's like um, I, I uh, when I went to uh, Brazil for uh, for the winter in uh, 2010, I uh, told my friends, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be, you know, I'll be updating, you know, I'll be on Facebook and I'll be updating my blog. And my friend Steve says, no, I want a good old fashioned fashioned email. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Kurt, thanks again. Uh, we will continue this again. And uh, Adam, thank you as always. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed it. We'll see you uh, one way or another. I expect I'll probably see both of you gentlemen next week. Yes, sir. All right. Have All right. Good evening. You too. And big red button. Big red button. Big red button. Where's the big red button? To contact either us or our guests, visit BlurringTheLinesPodcast.com. If you like what you're hearing, do us a solid and subscribe to our podcast. And leave us a five-star review in iTunes, Google Play Store, or wherever you found us.